good. It's good. Good afternoon. Good to see you. Hey, um, who finds silence difficult? Anyone? One, th three people? Yeah, four or five honest people. Yeah, noisy, yeah. Um, I'm uh, often reminded in, in those times, uh, there's a song by a guy called Jason Upton, and it's called In the Silence, and it's a really good song. Um, I just wanted to read the words to it, because I feel like there can be such a, 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 conf a confrontation in that place of silence, and it reveals so much about our inner world, particularly when it comes to God, and it's no wonder that uh, silence and solitude was... Uh, a fundamental spiritual discipline of the church for a, for a long, long time. Um, and, uh, and we're in, in the process of God really um, wanting us to uh, rebuild um, some foundational um, dynamics. Um, and we're going to explain more of that in the weeks to come. But one of those things is, is when it comes down to our personal discipleship to Jesus. Um, and so understanding the, the role of, of uh, spiritual kind of rhythms in our lives and how important they are. Anyway, here's the words to the song. It says, tired of telling you you have me when I know you really don't. I'm tired of telling you I'll follow when I know I really won't. Because I'd rather stand here speechless with no great words to say if my silence is more truthful and my ears can hear how to walk in your way. In the silence, you are speaking. In the quiet, I can feel the fire, and it's burning, burning deeply, burning all that it is that you desire to be silent in me. It says, oh Jesus, can you hear me? My soul is screaming out, and my broken will cries, teach me what your kingdom's all about, and unite my heart to fear you, to fear your holy name, and create a life of worship and this, in the spirit and truth of your loving ways. It's just like, boom. But it's about appreciating the discomfort. How often, you know, this is when we're wired in our culture to avoid uncomfortable things. Um, and yet discomfort is a, can be a really beautiful gift to us. Um, suffering is a, can be a really beautiful gift to us. Um, said no one in suffering ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, we say that afterwards, um, but it is the truth, it is the reality. So yeah, um, I dropped my iPad this week and I broke the screen. Yeah, yeah, so it was, it was um, my, my emotions, but I, you know, I'm like hyper-protective of my of my things, and I, I dropped it near our island bench, and this is, and I caught it, and then it kind of slid down and went over the handles and cracked it. So if I start bleeding midway through, it's just the screen cracking me, <laughs> but it'll be good because apparently someone once said that there's a blessing to be found in suffering. <sighs> so I'll attempt to not practice hypocrisy by rejoicing when I bleed all over my screen. And then. <clears throat> So I wanted to talk to you today. Maybe can we just bring up the, the room lights a little bit um, just so I can see your beautiful faces. I don't know, so the, uh, on the, the iPad. Yeah, on that beautiful iPad with an unbroken screen. And you know what? So I went to get it fixed and they're like... Um, yeah, it, it costs almost as much as a new iPad because they can't just replace the screen. They've got to replace the whole thing because it's some sort of yeah, monopolizing scam to make us spend more money. So it's a good thing that all Apple products are super cheap anyway to start with. So that's all good. So I wanted to talk to you today about being a kingdom people. I love talking about the kingdom. Hallelujah. Kingdom. Jesus is a king and he has a kingdom. So we are a people literally called by his name, okay? So we're Christians, Christ, Christians, okay? Um, so Jesus is the Christ. Um, 
just if you're not aware, Christ isn't his surname. It's not like, hi, I'm Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus Christ. Um, Christ means anointed. So he is Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. I don't know if that's the news, mind-blowing, like, for, for any of you, but uh, that's just it. And so, uh, so he is the Christ. So it's essentially, even when we reference Jesus, we're referencing him by part of his nature. We're saying Jesus the Christ. We could say Jesus the dot, 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 and there's a whole lot of uh, different um, attributes or expressions of who he is found in the Bible. And I've got, I don't know, I just came across 50 of them. Um, so Jesus is the Almighty One. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's our advocate. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our authority. He's the bread of life. He's the beloved Son of God. He's the bridegroom, the chief cornerstone, our deliverer. He is faithful and true. He's our good shepherd. He's our great high priest. He's the head of the church. He's a holy servant. He is the great I am. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's an indescribable gift. He is the judge, he is the king of kings, the lamb of God, the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the Lord of all, the mediator, the Messiah, the mighty one. He is one who sets free, he is our hope, our peace, a prophet, he is our redeemer, our risen Lord, he is the rock, he is the sacrifice for our sins, he is our saviour, the son of man, the son of the most high, the supreme creator over all. He is the resurrection and the life, the door, the way, the word, the true vine, the truth, the victorious one, the, victor the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Amen. All right, let's go. <laughs> so again, uh, this is uh, it's so important that we understand that he is so many things and not just so many things to us, but he is so many things. Your, my experience of God is only relative to my ability as to what I can experience. So my experience of God is not the truth of who God is. This often is kind of what happens, is that we view God through our lens of who we think God is or how we perceive him to be, and that can be formed through many, many different ways, from our theology, from our experience with authority figures, all of those sorts of things. But he is these things, whether or not I experience him to be that, whether or not I believe it, him to be that, he is all of these elements. And so there are many expressions of his nature, and there are, um, but there are also expressions of his position, so who he is and how he outwardly expresses himself on the earth. And so again, I think sometimes when we, when we think about the Lord, we think about, well, how do I experience God? And I know all of the attributes of his nature based upon how I experience him. Who is God to me? And that's really important that we understand that. And we understand that rightly. And that's a constant revelation and a growing of the expanding of our understanding and experience of who God is. He is all of these things. So again, we're not just saying, well, he is the resurrection and the life. Tick, he, no, I, I experience his resurrection life through my interaction with him. So every part of his nature is to be experiential as well. That's a whole nother sermon and journey. Um, he is an experiential God. But to look at him as, as a king, so I can experience him as a king, but he is, to be a king means to have a kingdom. So there is not just, it's not just an attribute of his nature, it's actually an expression of who he is. It's an expression of his position, it's an expression of his nature, it's an expression of his position as king overall. So sometimes we can get caught up viewing Jesus in all the ways that he benefits us rather than viewing the corporate attributes of his nature, which sometimes are primarily to benefit others. So we know all the ways that God is to me, but who is God to others? Who is God to the world? And um, it's important that we understand those things because we have a responsibility in expressing that reality of who he is as well. So Jesus is my Lord, but he is also Lord overall. Jesus is my King, but he is also King of his ever-increasing kingdom. So he is something to me, but God is personal, but he is also corporate. God, God you know, is, he is, he is, in how he relates to me is, is really important, but it's also how he relates to the world. So Jesus is, if we take one of those attributes, he is a king over his kingdom, but I think it, it carries an importance because he spoke so much about it. Jesus talked so much about his kingdom. That was the message that he proclaimed. He came, I've come to... to to proclaim to you the good news of what? The good news that I've come to die for your sins and I'll rise again so that one day you can go to heaven. 
Now, that's possibly the gospel that we hear most commonly explained to us. But again, that's a very personal gospel. That's really what, what does Jesus mean to me? My, I don't have a, he is absolutely that. He is your savior. Um, but the gospel that he proclaimed, the good news that he came to share was that he was king and he was establishing his kingdom. It's called the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus came to establish his kingdom on the earth. So what is a kingdom? It is the king's domain. So king and domain, you put them together, it's a kingdom. So anywhere where the king has dominion, that's his kingdom. Wherever Jesus is king, wherever he has dominion, his kingdom has come in that place. So again, the kingdom comes to us when Jesus comes to live in us. And I'm going through this process. I'm really um, just uh, investigating um, more when it comes to a daily, a daily contemplative lifestyle. Um, so doing the whole, what Rachel just and Andrew led you through, it's called Lectio Divina. Divina is, a, is the Latin kind of phrase. And essentially, it's just a way of, of reading and meditating on Scripture Again, if you hear the word meditation, as my son Mark did this morning in some show they were watching, he said, oh, I don't want to watch this anymore. They talk about meditation. As I, um, to meditate is to ponder on something. So if you get freaked out by the word meditation, that's just been hijacked by the new age and made it all about emptying of self. Meditation with God is all about filling yourself uh, with him. So don't be afraid of meditation. Um, on Jesus. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, clarification is important. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm just journeying through and, and reading some um, some like really old writers and that sort of stuff. But but this idea of of the reality of God living in us, and I think it, it, that's the most profound thing that I can ponder. And yet, I just don't think we get it. I think so often we look for Jesus out there, and yet we we forget all the scriptures that talks about that He set up His home, His temple, His dwelling place in us. But Anyway, side note. But it's important that we understand the first place that the kingdom of God comes is in us. He establishes his kingdom in people. He's made his home in us. The Godhead dwells in us. When Jesus speaks in, in John about, you know, that we will come and make our home, we, this, this the corporate of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come and make their home in us. Now we have a primary interaction with the Holy Spirit, but the reality is that the fullness of God, as the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus, the fullness of God comes and dwells in us. Profound, radical, amazing. If only we lived if, as if that was a reality. So what does it look like for Jesus to be king? Well, a kingdom, I'm going to read the, a bit here that I found some notes. A kingdom is the sovereign rulership and governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his intent, and his purpose, manifesting a culture and society reflecting the king's nature, values, and morals. A kingdom is the governing impact of a king's will over a territory or domain, his influence over a people, and a government led by a king. But you'll notice that it has a lot of doing words in that explanation. So the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, his lordship is active. It's not simply that Jesus is sitting on a throne and saying, hey, look, everyone, I'm king. He's always been king. Like whatever kingdoms have been established on the earth as a result of the fall, he was there before it. He created all of those things. He, he, he planted Adam and Eve in a garden and said, now you go and have dominion over all the earth. And they chose not to. They chose something else. And so they lost that. Now Jesus has restored that. And now we are in, in that process of restoring all the things to come under, back under his lordship. That's the role of, of our lives from now on. Um, so it's not about whether or not Jesus sits on the throne, but really about whether or not his subjects are loyal and obedient to him. Otherwise, it's not dominion. It's just the title of a king. Just saying, look, I've got a crown, guys. I'm king now. But if you call yourself a king and nobody does what you say, you're not much of a king. I used to get taught, you know, it's a, it's a leadership kind of 
axiom thing where, you know, if, if, you, um, if you call yourself a leader and yet you turn around and no one's following, you're not leading, you're just going for a walk. Um, so there is a reality that when he calls himself king, well, then there's a responsibility on the others to come under that dominion. Otherwise, he's not king of that person. That's when we talk about Jesus being Lord. He's like, is he actually, you can call him, yeah, you're Lord, but are you my Lord? Yeah, you're king, are you my king? Yeah, you're savior, savior and you're provider, but are you my savior, are you my provider? Because that actually is the determination as to whether or not that's true for you. And this is why obedience is so key in our relationship with the king. Unless I'm obedient to him, then he is only my king by title and not by observance. And the fact is the disciples would have only known of a kingdom that comes by force. And this is why they were willing to fight on behalf of Jesus and with him to overthrow the government of the time. They only knew of conquest and earthly domination. So they were in Rome. So that's what Rome would do. They would just go and they would take over the largest kingdom that existed at the time, possibly ever in the history of the earth. But that's what they would do. And so they would, the, the Romans said they would come and they would take over a region and they would make it like Rome. That's all, a lot of the imagery that Jesus borrowed, the imagery of the ecclesia was a Roman word, apostles, apostolos, that was a Roman understood framework of what they would do, how they would operate. And Jesus borrowed a lot of those things, but he said, the kingdom that I'm establishing is very, very different to any kingdom that you've experienced before. So literally when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, one of the disciples, you know, pulls out the sword. They're like, oh, this is it, Jesus. Finally, you know, and they're, they're, we're ready. We're ready for the fight. We're ready for you to stand up and be finally be king. Yeah, and we're gonna be your loyal soldiers. The disciples even asked him, Lord, when you become king, can we sit, you know, on, on who's gonna sit at your right hand? You're like, who's gonna be alongside you in, that, in those high places? They weren't thinking, oh, in the kingdom of heaven, you know, when you're seated at the right hand of the Father. They're, th they're thinking now. They're thinking in the earthly. They're thinking that Jesus is literally going to be king. When he was crucified and the, the sign that was nailed above him in mockery, oh, king of the Jews. Yeah, look at your king now, crucified on a cross. They were so caught up, they only knew of a kingdom of domination. But Jesus came to set up his kingdom in a different way. So domination is about exerting force and power over something or someone. It's coercion and control and not freedom. And as I said, this was the experience of the time under their political and their religious system. So politics and religion at the time used domination. It was about coercion. It was about rules and regulations and power struggles. Both of these had an impact on people and it created conformity. So again, you can have a religious environment and people will do the right thing. They'll probably just do it out of the wrong heart. And the Bible says God looks on the heart. <laughs> Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So when we talk about obedience from the heart, God is desiring a people that would freely give of themselves and come into that place. Dominion, not domination, dominion is invitational. It's literally derived from the Latin word that means lordship. There is freedom of choice in dominion. It's about stewardship and not control. But it requires obedience from those who are under the dominion in order for them to receive the benefits. So when Jesus, even when we say you are king, if I don't live as though he is king, then he isn't king. He is, he's just not to me. And yet that I'm, I fool myself into thinking that he is. To live under the lordship or kingship of Jesus is to live under all the benefits that his kingship gives me. We can call Jesus king, but unless we are living under his rule as king, then we actually don't receive the benefits of his kingship. So we call him king, and yet we don't live under that dominion, and so we think, well, he's, he's not really being a very good king to me. 
because I'm experiencing lack in this area and I'm not experiencing intimacy and I'm not experiencing all of these things that I feel like he's promised me. But the problem is that I'm not living under that dominion so I don't get to receive the fruits of his kingship. He's just king by title, but he's not king to me by the way that I live in response to him. I've got something controversial to say. It's not just all about Jesus. Moving on. No, no. We must start with Jesus, okay? And we never lose sight of Jesus. But the starting point of coming into relationship with God is coming and seeing Him and knowing all that He's done and being invited into fellowship and life and sonship and His freedom and His sovereignty, all of those elements of who He is. And we come under that and we see Him and we fall in love with Him and we get to know Him. It's amazing and wonderful and we desire to be like Him. That's discipleship. It's good, okay? It's all good. So we start with him, we never lose sight of him. But as we come under his kingship, then we also start to see what he's all about. And Jesus is all about his kingdom. To love Jesus is to obey his commands and fulfill his desires. And so even as I said to understand him as king, if I only see him as bridegroom, then I'll only relate to him as bride. But if I also see him as king, then I'll relate to him as subject and servant. If I, if I see Jesus as father, then I'll relate to him as son. If I see Jesus as servant, then I'll relate to him as, as a co-servant with him. The word doulos, it can be translated slave, servant, slave, same thing. So even as I read out that long list of all of those attributes, we're seeing there's a, there's a response to him that's as important as just understanding that he is that thing. He is that, but is he that to me? We're called priests and kings. Revelation 1, 5 to 6, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we are priests. The role of the priest is to minister to the Lord. But we're also kings that administer his kingdom. So we are priests in how we relate to him, but we are kings in how we relate to the world. Now again, there's this danger. Oh, so we're supposed to have dominion over the Lord. Yes, dominion, not domination. <laughs> So it's not about control and coercion and, and forcing and manipulating, doing all those sorts of things. It's, it's freely inviting people in with invitation into the Lordship of Jesus. So as priests, we minister to him and as kings, we rule on his behalf. He has made us, because we're, again, this is the, the crazy part. It's not just that, oh, you're king and I'm a servant. Then he calls me king because I'm becoming like Jesus. So everything that he is, I am becoming like so it's not that, oh, Jesus, you're king. And the reality is, oh, Jesus, you call me a king. Now it's a king under his kingship. <laughs> it's not just, oh, cool, I'll go off and establish my own kingdom over here. No, we're, but we are, we're, we're becoming like him. The more we become like him, the more we desire to see his kingdom come to earth. Mature lovers of Jesus don't just love him they also love what he loves. If I think about in marriage, you know, there's this initial um, uh, you know, connection of two people and they fall in love, but, but you become, you fall in love with everything that this person is and you just start to love all of the different parts of who they are and I just love that about you and I love that about you and I love that about you. And that is so important that that remains in your relationship. So for Elisa and I, it's important that, that what remains in my heart is I love this about you and I love this about you and I love this about you. But there's a maturing in love where I, then, I love that about you, but you know what? I also wanna love what you love. And I think that's mature love when we start to love what the other person loves because that's also a way that I minister to my wife is by loving what she loves, by appreciating what she loves and by partnering in with that expression of her desires and joining in and then 
that's, that's a way of loving as well. But there's this outward expression of, I'm gonna love what you love. I'm gonna value what you value. There's things that my wife values that I wouldn't, without her, necessarily value in the same way. We've got a new puppy. <laughs> no, I value the puppy. <laughs> so does she. But she's, you know, she is just, she's just a, a very diligent person. And so she signs up and we've, we've done this, the teaching, the doggy den online training and all this stuff. And she's just researched everything and all this sort of things. So I know for me, I'm like, I don't have the headspace to be so in that world of everything that this dog requires and needs and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she is. But there's things where I would naturally relate to the puppy in a way that's maybe not the most helpful for it. And so Lisa's been helping me to see like, yeah, no, it's not, we, no, we shouldn't do that. And also my kids, because now they've been trained to know, no, that if she's doing something wrong, you, just, you can't say her name, you just gotta say no. You can't say no, Molly, you gotta say no. And so I'm getting, it's, it's a wonderful. You know, it's when your kids are teaching you and training you and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure they're loving it, but um, but there's something was like, well, okay, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't naturally do that. I would wrestle her and let her bite me and ah, and bite her back and do that sort of stuff. But then she's, yes, yeah, you bite me, I'll bite you back. Um, but she's, no, that's not good. And we can't do that. So I'm like, okay, I'll value what you hold as a value because you know, maybe you know more than me. Anyway, it's just a little side. But, uh, but, I, but I do think there is a maturing in our love where we, where we are so focused on Him and yet he, and he brings us into His presence and then He turns us around and He shows us all that He loves. He shows us all the people that He loves. How, you wanna love people that don't know Jesus? You wanna love people that, you, you wanna love your enemies? Then you gotta see from His perspective. Now again, but it's not about loving them. You gotta love Him first. There's gotta be a coming in. There's gotta be a, a captivation in him. But as I do, I get that feeling. It's like as we come in and he says, now let me show you what I see. And we get to see from his perspective, but not just with his eyes, but because we're, we're captivated by his heart, his heart's in there too. And we get to see his heart. We get to view the world through Jesus' eyes. We get to view the world as Jesus views the world. But there's a maturing luck. If we stay only on, I'm just looking at you, Jesus, looking at you, he's like, I love that you're looking at me and I love that you're ministering to me as a priest. But you need to know, son, I've called you a king. You need to know, daughter, I've called you a king. So you've got to rule and reign as well. Otherwise, you're not, you're not being obedient to me. You're doing, one, you're doing one part of the relationship and he loves it. And I'm, I'm saying, I think that's a journey for all of us to even come to that place where we understand, oh, it's not just about do, do, do. It's not just about doing everything. It is about being. And I think it's about being first. We're gonna be with him. I was in, uh, you know, I get, I get downloads in the shower sometimes. My place of revelation and thinking. I don't know why. Um, but I was thinking about that where, where when it comes to being and doing. And I think, yeah, sometimes we can get so caught up in, in doing that hasn't come out of our being. And I'm talking about being with Jesus. Do we do our day, our doing for him out of our being with him? And I think sometimes we can do, our doing comes from our seeing rather than our being. Like we see what other people are doing and okay, I'll, I gotta, guess I gotta do that. And oh, that person's doing that. I, I guess I should be doing that as well. And man, that person does that, but I, I don't even know why they do that, but I guess that's what I should be doing. And we live by seeing. We read in the Bible, oh, that's what he, it says, so I better do that. But we don't live from that place of doing. And then he says, I'm like, ah, oh, it's, in that place of being with him. And then I go out of that place and I do. The whole, that whole worship time that we did before, that's an act of obedience that comes out of a place of being. Because we're like, Jesus, what's happening here? We feel like when a grace lifts on something, we're just asking him questions. What are you doing, Lord? And sometimes it's, it's often that he's, he, well, he doesn't always give the full answer. He usually doesn't give the full answer, but he gives enough for us to obey. Um, otherwise, we'd be God, and that wouldn't go well for anybody. Um, but there's this, there's this thing where he, where he leads us, and then, but it comes out of this, okay, Lord, we just want to be obedient to you. Whatever you want, Lord. Whatever you want for this community. People might think it's weird. People might think it's different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they go, oh, that's a shame. Because if only you knew 
It's, we're just tr trying to live out of being. And our doing is then always secondary. But we trust that, well, Lord, if you're doing it, <laughs> we're just following you. We're just doing what we see the Father doing. All right. So as I said before, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And that word gospel means good news. So it's the good news of God's kingdom coming to earth. The gospel was always associated with the victory of a king. So this was, again, a word that Jesus borrowed from culture. So when a king would go into battle or his, his you know, subjects would go into battle, often the king was there in the battle. And when they were victorious, they would send a runner back into the city to announce to everyone the gospel. The good news is that the king is still on the throne. Because you imagine not everyone goes to war. You're sitting back and you know maybe your, your husband or your brother or your son has gone off to war, okay? If they lose that battle, you lose everything. Because there's a really good chance if they lose that battle, then that army is going to come and take your home and, or kill you and kill your family and burn everything down and destroy it and take it over, okay? So you understand when good news comes, it's like, that's really good news, I'm so glad that someone has proclaimed the good news that the king is victorious. But you understand in that context, what Jesus is borrowing from culture, he's saying, I've come to proclaim to you the good news that I'm king and my kingdom has come. That's what he is proclaiming. The, the victory has been won. The battle has been won. So it was the victory of a king and it was good news for the people of that kingdom. It was good news to people. But again, it wasn't just good news to an individual. It was good news to everyone who was under that king. It wasn't good news for the neighbors next door. It was good news for that people. And this is the, the difference, I think, sometimes of what we often hear is the gospel of personal salvation. That's often what is proclaimed. That's when people come, become Christians and they hear this gospel presentation. It's called the gospel, but it's a slither of the gospel. I will go through a teaching I've taken the core leaders through, and uh, so I won't do that now, but I just want you to know there's a, there's, a, there's, a, I think there's a much broader scope of understanding of what the gospel really is, and I think it has a, a better flow of fruit, more natural fruit. But anyway, I'll just... Drop that there for you to hold on to for one day. And you go, oh, that's what he was talking about. It's not the gospel of personal salvation. It's, it's not the good news that one day you'll go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not why it's good news for you. You say, but it is good news that one day I'll go. I know, but that's not the best news. That's like, well, later on, there's good news now, today, Jesus is king. There is benefit for you, not when you die, but now. If Jesus just wanted you to go to heaven, you'd be dead by now. He doesn't want you in heaven. He wants heaven on earth through you. It's literally his prayer. Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's his prayer, that's his desire. And as his people, as his loyal subjects under his kingship, that is our responsibility he has chosen us to be his ambassadors on earth. What's an ambassador? Is a representative of another country that lives in a foreign land but establishes that foreign land in that place. I don't know if you remember the Simpsons episode where the Simpsons came to Australia. Yeah. Simpsons, anyone see that episode? Come on, classic Australia. Simpsons come to Australia. Handful of people. Boo, yeah. My kids are like that. They've never watched it, but. They've been indoctrinated. Um, anyway, oh no, oh no. <sighs> My kids aren't allowed to watch it either, so I'm a bit of a hypocrite. But, uh, but anyway, it was just, there was just this, this part where, and, and there's the um, American embassy in Australia, and so I think it's Bart, and he's like, I'm in America, and now I'm not, and he's jumping inside, and he's jumping inside, now I'm not. And then, and then the guy, I think the guy, the guy just punches him in the face or something, and... Um, he says, we don't like, act like that in America, something like that. But anyway, it just came to my mind. I'm sorry that it just flows out. Not everything is Holy Spirit revelation. Some is just bread spirit revelation. So, <sighs> yeah. 
We are his ambassadors on earth. The good news, that's what it was about. See, there's a flow. The good news is that Jesus is and will be the king over all creation. But as I said before, we receive the reward of his kingship when, we, when he is king in our lives and on the earth. The Lord's prayer is about his kingdom coming. So his kingdom was inaugurated by him. It's continued on by his spirit that dwells in us. But it is about his kingdom coming and his will being done. Now, when we hear the will, we often we talk about, I just wanna know the will of God for my life. But I think we often, it almost sounds like it's used in a way, I wanna know the plan, what's God's plan for my life, okay? God's will is not his plan. It's his desire. You, if you have a will, that is your set of desires. If I will something to come, I desire it to happen. If I will myself to pick up this bottle of water, I'm, I'm desiring to do it and I have activated my will and my will has been done. Praise the Lord. So God's will is not his plan, it's his desire, but because he's God, it becomes his plan because his will will be done. So our will is our desires, it's what we will to do. When we engage our will, we attempt to bring about what we desire. It's important to understand that we have a will and part of our journey with Jesus is, is about surrendering our will to his will. God's will being done is God actively bringing about his desires for the earth. Actively bringing it about. It's not, oh, I, just, I just, and again, when God says, I just desire this, but oh, no, I could never afford it. You know, like, oh, that probably won't happen, but oh, it'd be lovely. He's like, no, no, this is my desire. So you better believe this is what's gonna happen. That's why every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord one day. It might, it might take to that last second before it happens, but it's gonna happen. But what his desire is that none would perish and all would come to salvation. Who, who has a responsibility in that? We do. So God's will being done will inevitably conflict at some point with our will being done. Ah, oh, that's what I'm facing every day. God doesn't remove our will when we're born again. We need our will to truly express love and obedience to Him. Otherwise, we would just be robotic. You can't love without an activation of your will, saying it's my desire to do so. But this again is why it's not just about singing songs or doing stuff, it's about actually, my heart is engaged in this process of worship. My heart is engaged in the process of obedience. It's not out of fear of punishment, because Jesus is like, mm, I took away all the punishment on the cross. You can't do it because of guilt or condemnation, fear of condemnation, because there's now, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ugh, dang, damn it. You know, it's, it's got to be, it's, no, it's your love. Those who love me will be obedient to my commands. It's what he desires. So we, we never lose our will. Now again, through trauma and all that sort of stuff, your will can be shut down. I'm not saying that you don't, but it's still there. It's just broken or distorted or trapped or whatever. But I'm saying you still have a will and you exert your will. So we retain our ability to choose even to desire differently to God. This is why we pray for his will to be done, which therefore means my will won't be done. So we're gonna say it together. If God's will is being done, it might mean that my will isn't being done. Sinking in, sinking in, that's right. Sometimes it's a choice between my will and his will. Sometimes my will aligns with his will. Hallelujah. Praise God. Easy to obey. God says, I just want you to sing. You're like, awesome. Yes, Lord. I can sing. Easy to obey. I want you to go and pray for that person in the shops. Ooh, different. That would be, might be embarrassing. It might be this, you know. I want you to read your Bible for two and a half minutes. Yes, Lord, I can do that, you know. I want you to fast for, for three days less, you know. You know, it's not like, oh yes, your will be done over there. 
You do you, God. You do you. You do you. <laughs> it's not in his kingdom. It's the submission of my will to his will. And this is why we focus on transformation. Jesus, most of the time, didn't struggle to do God's will. Most of the time. There's one time that I know of that he did. Um, but most of the time, because he was Jesus, and as we're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, it's like it becomes more and more natural to desire and to long to do those things. It's like, man, when I'm in love with Jesus, I could worship for hours and I can read my Bible all the time and I can just pray and I can just break into song and I can love on people and I, I'll pray for that person on the street. I'll do anything when I'm in love. I'll do anything when I'm just becoming, it becomes natural now to behave in these ways. Oh, why'd you go and do that? Well, what else would I do? That's who I am now. Why didn't you get angry at that person? I don't know. I just don't get angry at people like I used to because I'm not that person anymore. Why are you struggling in that area? Because I'm not that person anymore. I have been transformed. Hallelujah. It's good. But in the transformation process of becoming more like Jesus, our will gets shaped to be more in line with God's will naturally. It removes the tension of conflict between our will and His. Okay, so it's a good thing. The process of transformation sometimes is hard and takes our activating our will. There's plenty of people outside taking care of what needs to be taken care of, so don't feel free to not be distracted. Now everyone's going, what was that now? <laughs> the more spiritually mature we become, the more we embody and manifest the mind of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, 6, around that section. But to assume that God will only ask me to do things that I want to do is irrational. But maybe for some of us, we're like, mm, maybe that's my problem. <laughs> so I'm only thinking he's going to ask me to do things that I actually want to do. Then he wouldn't have a prayer that says his will be done. He'd say your will be done. I don't want to live my life in constant tension with God's desires. I want my want-tos to change. I want to hear his voice and, and, and give my yes before he's even asked me what to do. I want to live that kind of life with Jesus. But that takes a transformation process of my inner world, of my will. That's a soul issue. Your mind, your will, your emotions, it's about changing those things, yielding them to, to his and being changed into his likeness. But until that happens, there will be countless opportunities for me to choose to submit to his will and not my own. I don't want to wake up earlier to pray. But it's not my will being done. I don't want to pray for that person. But it's not my will being done. We should all be expecting some Garden of Gethsemane moments in our lives. Not the same, probably not to the same level of intensity or importance, <laughs> um, but opportunities where we recognize that what we want is not the same as what God wants. Where Jesus cried out, you know, Father, if you can take this cup from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. There's a moment where Jesus is saying, I, I don't want to go through with this. Is there another way? Can I not drink from this cup, Father? Because I've seen what you are asking of me and I don't want to do it. But not my will be done, your will be done. So God cares about your heart. God cares, he'll, he'll, he'll do that journey with you. It's not about a denial of your heart. It's not just a shutting, I'll just shut everything down of all my emotions and my brain and everything like that. No, it's about bringing that before the Lord and saying, God, I, I hear you asking me of this and I'm just letting you know, I don't want to do it. But I, Lord, change my heart. Change my want to. Because I want to want to. <laughs> I desire that I, would, that I would do that. But right now, I don't want to. So I'm gonna bring that before you. I'm gonna be honest about it. There'll be opportunities where we recognize that what we want is not the same as what God wants. 
And our answer needs to become the same as Jesus' answer. Not my will be done, but your will be done. If it happened to Jesus, it'll happen to us. So when it comes to submitting your will to God, if you like to be in control of your life, then Jesus won't be your Lord. If you wanna be in control, Jesus won't be Lord. He cannot be because you are literally exercising your will to keep hold of the very thing that he requires from you in order for him to be king. If you like to be in control, then you'll, you'll struggle to encounter and experience and follow the leading of God's spirit because that requires submission of your lordship in order to come under his. Uh, you know, I hear some people might say, oh, just, oh, that's just pride, that's just my pride. When I hear that, and I, I hope that someone wouldn't say that flippantly, but that's a really serious thing to acknowledge because God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So hallelujah, Lord, that there is grace when we choose humility or when you choose to humiliate us. Either way, it's fine by me as long as I get the outcome of your empowering presence. As I've said many times, choosing humility is, is in my experience, always been better than God, yeah, holy humiliation, I call it. Um, but it's the Lord bringing humility, humiliation. I know that's like a shame thing. It's only shameful if you've got structures of shame in your heart. So you deal with those and then it doesn't really matter. Humiliate me all you want because I'll get the reward of humility, which is you, Jesus, and your grace and your presence. So this is called a double bind. You want God to have something that you're not willing to let go of. So I'm saying, yes, be Lord, but just let me be in control. It's a contradiction. Can't do it. So I could say to Rachel, here, have this water bottle, Rachel. Have it. Just have it. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Lord, yeah, come on, Rachel. Can you open this for me, please? <laughs> just open it. <sighs> Useless. <laughs> I don't know why I bother. You tell me you can do all of these things. I'm not experiencing in my life. See? Be the Lord of my own water bottle. No, no. It tastes bitter. Oh my goodness. There is literally a bug in my water. <clears throat> there you go, Jesus. Yep. All he has to do is turn into wine, then I'll be... Like, okay, you're speaking more. But that's the thing. This is one of those areas where it comes to control. It's like, God, like I, you know, it's, oh, just, you know, I just like to be in control. It's like, then you don't like Jesus to be Lord. Because it requires, it's an exchange. That's what he does. He says, hey, you want me to be Lord? You can't be Lord. You want me to be king? You can't be king. You could be a king in my kingdom. You want me to be in control? Then you can't be in control. You want me to be your strength? Then you've got to acknowledge your weakness and come and lean on me for your strength. This is how he works. But you can't, you can't both be king. It's not going to work. So I encourage you, if you feel like, yeah, I just feel like there's some, that can spring up sometimes. It has to be dealt with. You need an encounter with Jesus. We utilize the, the forum at times, you can do it any time, but if you want some help in that, that's where a prayer ministry session is good because someone's just gonna lead you to Jesus and he's gonna show himself as Lord and you're gonna repent for being Lord yourself and you get to come under his Lordship. It's pretty simple. It just takes repentance. It's his desire. He's not gonna beat you or bash you or rob you or do anything like that. He's just gonna establish right order in your life. And then you get to walk in the freedom and the fullness of him being king. And you don't have to be king. You know, sometimes it's hard being the senior leader of a place. It's like, oh, I just want someone else to be, why can't I have a, a, an overseer? You know, someone that I can just like, oh, drop the ball. Here you go. <laughs> People don't do that to me, but 
not on purpose. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's that sense of responsibility, being a father in a family. Like you feel like, man, there's, just, there's, a, there's a weight here of responsibility. But man, there's a beautiful freedom when it's just like, oh yes, I don't have to be king. But there's freedom for me, even as a father, even as a senior pastor of a senior leader of a community. It's like, but I thank you, Jesus, I'm not king. <laughs> this is your church. This is your people. So I'm free. I can step aside and like, it's, it's not me, Lord. It's not on my shoulders. I'm free. And I know, I remember when, when we first planted this church and thankfully God just awakened us to different ways of of viewing the world and the church and all that sort of stuff. And people used to say to me from, from my old communion, they go, man, they catch up and they man, you must, be, you must be exhausted, like planting a church in Inquinar and all that sort of stuff. And I said, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. And then so I, I don't think anyone said it to my face, but I heard coming back, said, oh, you mustn't be doing it right. Uh, I said, no, I think I am doing it right. Now I want to tell you, it's brutal. Because you journey with people and you love people and people struggle and they're, and they're broken, they get stuck. And that's the hardest bit is journeying with people that you love, that you care about. If I didn't care about people, it'd be even more of a breeze. <laughs> that's probably the hardest thing is because you love people and people get hurt and they're hurting and they're broken and we, and we choose to enter in and journey with people through that process. But it is like to be under his lordship and for him to be king and for him to be senior, you know, he is the great shepherd of this community he's leading us and even more so that we're like hey we're just going to be obedient to you Jesus whatever you want to do wherever you want to go we'll go we are here because of Jesus we didn't choose to be on this land and we had a choice in how we responded to his lordship and his leading but it wasn't part of the agenda it wasn't part of the five-year plan because there wasn't one um <laughs> you know and I'm not saying that you then live without stewardship there's absolutely stewardship, and, and we take that as a high priority. Even being here on this land, it's like, Lord, well, you've given it to us. We are going to steward what you've given to us. But that is what dominion looks like, not domination. Dominion is stewardship. You, you give me a portion, I'm going to care for that portion, Lord. And I'm going to be diligent with that portion. I'm going to be righteous with that portion. And you want to take that portion away, Jesus? You take it away, Jesus, because it's yours. It wasn't mine to start with. I was just looking after a part of your kingdom. That's freedom. If, if Jesus took this all away tomorrow, okay, Lord, you know what you're doing. It's just not mine. My ego is not tied up in this thing. It's, it's, like it's not, I'm, I'm not going to feel like a failure if this doesn't work out, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. You know, if this is not successful. Success to me will be when I stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. That's all I can bank on because I know I've got eternal salvation and life and I'll be with him forever, but the reward I'm gonna receive is gonna say, well done, you're, you're faithful. Not fruitful, faithful. And when we're faithful, we're fruitful. That's in the book of John, abiding in the vine. If you abide in the vine, you'll produce good fruit. It's the natural flow of the relationship with him. The kingdom of God was inaugurated and established by Jesus, but it is being governed and expanded by his people, his ecclesia. The ecclesia is the spiritual governing body that he established. It's his church under the leadership of his Holy Spirit. And the good news is something we can rejoice in when we realize that it's good news for him to be in charge to wake up and to say, I'm so glad you're king, Jesus. I'm so glad you're king. I'm so glad you're Lord. I'm so glad that, I'm just so glad that you're in charge. Because there's a weight off my shoulders. I'm so glad that you're in charge to provide finances for my family. Now, am I gonna steward the job that I have? Yes, absolutely. But I'm not, I'm not in charge of that. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible to steward what you give me. So some questions would be, what would it look like for the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, to come and establish itself in every sphere of your life and every place that you have influence? Now again, your personal life. How would your life look differently? I'm not saying how would it. Does it look differently? If you say, Jesus, Lord, does my life look differently than it was before? 
Or am I kind of just living my life saying, yeah, you're, you're Lord, but kind of being my own little Lord? It's time to get off the throne. How would our personal life look different? How would our family look different if we're under the Lordship of Jesus? Our close relationships, our workplace, our neighborhood, our city, our nation, the nations. Is your life leaving an eternal impact on those around you? If you left your workplace, would it look any different? If you left your community and moved house, would that community look any different? If this church moved from this place, would, would the communities around us, would it, would it be any different? And you could say the opposite. Is, is someone's life different because you're in it? Because of the kingdom? Is your workplace different because you're there representing the king? Like you are literally representing Jesus in that place. You're representing Jesus in your neighborhood. Simple things. Today, I, I, I was coming home. For, I did a little bit of sermon prep and driving home and I saw there was a, an older couple and they were um, cleaning up a, a block of land that they own that's for sale and just out, the guy was out with a whippersnipper and the lady had a palm frond and she's kind of trying to sweep up the, the grass stuff because she'd forgotten her broom. And so like, man, simple little thing. So I pull into my driveway and I come back with my like electric blower things. I just want to, you know, offer this to you if you'd like to use it. And she's like, yeah, thank you so much. And I've got my broom and we chatted for a while and the guy came and he dropped it back. And it's just like, just simple little interactions like that in, in your day that can be you representing Jesus. It didn't, it, there wasn't any ailment that I prayed for. There wasn't necessarily any supernatural revelation or prophetic word or anything like that. It was just love. And love is supernatural because it's God's love. Because if it was maybe me without Jesus, I'd say, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> Forgot your broom, did you? Um, you know, drive on home. But that is the supernatural work of God in the simplest of ways. But we've got to be looking, if, if, if I'm an ambassador of his kingdom, is the culture around me shifting? Is the culture in my home reflecting the king and his kingdom? Because if it isn't, then my family isn't under the lordship of Jesus. Am I still stuck and struggling in the same sin or the same stinky attitudes or same offense and all that sort of stuff? Is that what Jesus, if Jesus was living in my body, influencing my heart, is, would I be that way? And if the answer is no, then you, you're not under his lordship, maybe. I, I understand there's a process, but you would be submitting all of those areas to Jesus. You wouldn't be reveling in your offense at someone who didn't do something or did something or blah, 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 all that sort of nonsense. You'd be like, gosh, Jesus, my heart is not like your heart. I've noticed I have bitterness in my heart, Jesus. And that person that you called me, and I just didn't love them. And I'm thinking these thoughts and I'm just critical all the time. And I'm not, I'm not being like you, Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not under your lordship in this area of my heart. So bring me under, Lord. Lead me to repentance. Change and transform my heart. And let me, I will seek people out, Lord, that they could pray for me or that I could have some prayer ministry or I could have a, I just want an encounter with you in a dream, Lord, whatever it is. That's what it looks like to be living as a disciple of Jesus under his lordship and day by day, day being transformed, but not just about what's happening in me. And then how am I taking that and manifesting that to the world? What can you do from today that will help you to shape those different spheres of your life to look more like they would if Jesus was in your place? Would your family look the same if Jesus was you? Would your workplace look the same if you were Jesus? Would your neighborhood look the same if you were Jesus? Because guess who you're called to be? Are you a Christian? Yeah. You're called by his name and you're called by the name of the anointed one. So you are under his anointing and you carry his anointing. So you have the power by the Holy Spirit to do everything that Jesus did. And more is what he said. You'll do greater things than I. But do we live in this kind of just shallow, kind of basic way, just not even expecting that he's gonna show up? Once again, I'm speaking to me. 
Oh, I forgot about my bug. Mm. Preting. Mm. Hello. All right. Would you like to pray with me? You don't have to. You're free. But I'm going to pray for myself and you're welcome to join in. You're welcome to stand if you desire to stand. You can activate your will in standing. Mm. We say, King Jesus, we love you. And I just want to say, I'm so glad you're King Jesus. I'm so glad you're King. And I'm so glad I don't have to be King. I'm so glad I don't have to I'm so glad I don't have your job, Jesus. I really don't want your job, Jesus. But I want you to work in my life. <laughs> you have a job, and your job is to work in our lives, Jesus. In us and through us. And Jesus, I, I, I know that it's a journey of us coming more and more under your lordship, under your kingship. It's not necessarily this, this once-off, everything changes, everything comes under, Lord. It is a journey and a process. But Father, I just don't want to settle. And Lord, I, I, I know that you don't desire that we would settle for something less than you being king of every area of our lives. We don't want partial lordship. We don't want partial leadership. We don't want partial obedience, Lord. As you desire and we desire, we want to be fully obedient to you, Jesus. We want every area of our life, of our heart, of our being, every area of influence that we have, we want every area to be under your kingship, Jesus. Because you're so much better at being king than we are. And Father, we repent of our pride. We repent of our desire to control where we have robbed ourselves and others of your Lordship by taking your place, Lord. Even though we can never take your place, Father, but I just pray that you would expose the lie, that you would expose the root as to why we would even desire to be in your place, to be in that place of control, to be in the place of pride or self-righteousness, Lord. Whatever it is, God, that's blocking your kingship, we ask that you would come and you would destroy those structures, Lord, that you would bring us into a place of freedom, Lord, that you'd reveal and expose, God. And if it takes time, let it take time, Lord, that we'd not shift off this subject in our lives. If you are con convicting us of it now, Holy Spirit, that you would keep that fire of conviction burning in our hearts throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, however long it takes, God, for you to bring that thing to death, Jesus, so that we can live in the fullness of life under your Lordship. And God, we acknowledge that you are a king, but you have a kingdom and we are part of your kingdom and you have called us, Lord, not just to be under your kingship, but to exercise that kingship, Lord. But we cannot exercise what we're not under, Lord. We cannot express an authority that we're not living under ourselves, Lord. So Father, as, as you are doing that work of bringing us into right order, Lord, getting our lives, our hearts under your Lordship, we pray also, God, that we would seek to express that, your dominion, in every sphere that you've given us, Lord, every place of authority, every realm of authority and influence that we have, God, that our desire would be the same as your desire, that our will would be the same as your will, that your kingdom would come into those places and that your will would be done in those places, Lord. In the same way that it's done in heaven, Lord, it would be done on earth, God. And that you'd give us a grace to obey. We need your grace we need your leading Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need your ability because we are weak. And Father, the more that we release control, the more that we step out from that place of being Lord, the more weak we will feel and yet the more strength we will receive because order will be established rightly. 
Even as the Apostle Paul said, I boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, then he is strong. That your grace, your empowering presence is sufficient for us, Lord. That competency in the kingdom is about dependency, Lord. Help us to learn what it is to be dependent upon you, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for your gentleness. We thank you, Lord, that you don't beat us down, that your kindness leads us to repentance, Father. And if any way we've received what's been shared today, God, in a way that has felt harsh or like you've, you've been whacking us with a stick, Lord, I repent, God, for any way that I've been harsh in my words, Lord, that's not my intent because I feel your kindness, Lord. I feel your drawing. I feel your invitation because your kingdom doesn't come by domination, doesn't come by coercion, it comes by invitation. And you're inviting us, Lord, by your kindness into your kingdom in new ways, in deeper ways, and under your lordship in that safe and beautiful and wonderful place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.